Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am just delighted to have PJ Vernon on the podcast today. PJ was born in South Carolina. Called a rising star thriller writer by Library Journal, Vernon's debut, When You Find Me, was both an Audible Plus number one listen and an Associated Press top 10 U.S. audiobook. His latest novel, Bathhouse, pitched as Gone Girl with Gaze and Grinder, has been praised as a nightmarish white knuckler, and boy, is that true, by O, the Oprah Magazine and called an adrenaline-spiked pulse pounder by the New York Times. He lives in Calgary with his husband and two wily dogs. PJ, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, Julie, thank you so much for having me and for giving me this opportunity. I am pumped to be here, and it's great to see you. We, I, I'm lucky enough to get to see you uh, on the regular, um, so this is an extra <laughs> special treat. <laughs> it is an extra special treat. So for folks who don't know, I mean, I um, record these, uh, but on Zoom, even though you can't see us, I like seeing people. And so um, I really appreciate these conversations with all of these writers. And PJ, I'm so looking forward to this conversation with you because you've had a heck of a year, my friend. Um, You know, Bathhouse is getting a lot of attention. I mean, did you think two years ago that when I would say New York times, when I was talking about some of the critical reaction from your book? No, um, I, (laughs) no, not at all. Uh, and and thank you for, um, (laughs) for sharing all of that. I, it has been, uh, absolutely one hell of a year. Um, it has been just a year of such extremes, you know, much of the book stuff, um, like we're, we're talking about, you know, has been so overwhelmingly, you know, no writer, um, I, I would think expect something like that. And so when you open up an email and you see that that's coming, that'll derail your day and your next day, <laughs> your next day. Um, and, you know, it's so it's just it's been an experience unlike anything I've ever um, uh, done in my life. Um, the experience of a lifetime, um, which I've, I've been so honored to share with my husband, Barry, um, who not only enables me as a writer, but empowers me as a writer, which I mm-hmm. think is so important. Um but yeah, it's no unexpected. I, it still hasn't really sink in yet. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, you say the experience of a lifetime and I want to talk about your writing journey, but I, I also want to offer you've got, you've got a long life ahead of you. So <laughs> may, may there be other wonderful yeah. journeys um, as much as this one, but it, it's really well-deserved. So I'm, uh, I'm really happy to talk to you about your writing journey because you do, um, Bathhouse is dark and, and my experience of you is you're not that person. So, <laughs> um, I'm, I look forward to talking to you about, uh, you know, the genre and everything else, but let's start at the beginning as I always do in these, uh, these conversations. And how did you start writing? When did you say to yourself, I want to start, I want to write a novel. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's happened a few different times and in a few different ways. Um, so from day one, I always have been um, engaged in story, you know, the act of storytelling and, and you know, really um, getting a payoff myself uh, through entertaining other folks. So, you know, I'd pop in, um, you know, the Ninja Turtles uh, show or, or, you know, we'd be watching Star Wars for the billionth time. And, you know, we'd play for like five seconds before I'd grab my figures, run upstairs and just create, you know, the story I, I wanted to create and how I um, sort of yeah. sort of wanted that to, to play out. Um, there was another time, you know, in high school, um, as many of us have been, you know, there's the plagiarism accusations and, and on the other side, the teachers who are so meaningful um, to you in your life who, who are just like, wow, you can do something that's special. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wrote about 50 pages of, of a manuscript in high school that I, I have to find someday. I think it's at a relative's house, hopefully. Um, but, but then I kind of got uh, off on another career track. I was an immunologist. Um, so I went to the University wow. of Pittsburgh School of Medicine and worked in combat casualty care um, for the DOD and basically d did not take writing seriously, um, fi writing fiction at all. Um, at that point, until I met um, my, my now husband, Barry, um, we were in a long distance relationship and, uh, for a couple years, he, uh, was located in Canada. Um, and so I made the decision to abandon gainful employment and move up here, uh, <laughs> to, to be with him. And, um, at that point I, you know, I had nothing, um, I wasn't doing anything, but walking around a bookstore one day and I was like, there's literally thousands of titles here. I would recognize none of these folks, mostly none of these folks in the airport. Maybe I can do this too. And so I, I took it seriously at that point and started writing with the intention um, of trying to get published because nothing beats um, someone else being entertained by something you've just made up on your computer. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so this is interesting. I mean, that's a, you know, you switch careers, you're moving to Canada. Could you, could you practice in Canada if you wanted to, or would it be a, a whole process to be able to do that? Or did you decide now that I've got this new relationship in my life, I'm just going to change the whole thing? Yeah, that's a great question. And the honest answer is not so much. So I, I did a lot of uh, research, um, not clinical practice um, so much. And there wasn't the kind of work that I did, um, what, again, was very uh, defense-oriented, so combat casualty care and in very mm -hmm. specific places um, in the U.S. and elsewhere, and it, it, nothing like that um, in, in Canada. So there wasn't uh, really a natural um, place for, for my career to move. And I have to say, I completely underestimated the trauma that that would exact on um, you know me. I put all my worth practically in my yeah. degree. Um, and we can have a whole conversation about overachievement and queer, <laughs> queer, <laughs> queer folks, you know, yeah. um, you know, when I took that away, I was like, I don't have anything. It, it felt like, you know, so I, right. it was a very, um, tumultuous, but ultimately on the other side of it, powerful and cathartic experience. And, and it enabled me to do this, which is the dream of a lifetime, even though the lifetime's happened, going to last for a long time. It <laughs> is going to last said. for a long time. <laughs> And so when you're walking around the bookstore in this, you know, career crisis of sorts and looking and saying, I could do this, what was the, what was the compulsion? Like what made you say, oh, wait, long, you know, this dream hasn't surfaced for a while. Let me get back to it. I mean, was it, was it that kind of thing or was it like, oh, okay, let me try something new. I mean, <laughs> where, was it, you know, something that you just in your other career had just 
dampened and you hadn't been exploring? Yeah, because to be honest, it um, interfered with um, the writing I would do uh, for, for clinical studies. It, you know, I was often, I, that voice, that narrative voice was sort of hammered out of uh, me. Um, and yeah. so when I decided, um, you know, that I'd give writing a serious shot, um, I have to say I'd always recognized it had been a dream, but felt like a pipe dream. I, um, I told my husband that on our first date when we asked what we could do, if we could do anything. I said, oh, I'd be a novelist. Um, but you know, I started by going on YouTube, um, looking at resources, organizations. I knew where I was moving in Calgary to be with him, had writers organizations I could look up and start, you know, going to local conferences and just seeing, immersing myself, seeing what this, this gig looks like and the folks that are in it, um, are, are doing. Um, and it just, you know, it felt like there was a space for me to do this. Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, in that bookstore, I think at the time, um, I was writing like some, I was trying to write the next game of Thrones, which is this horribly objectively bad manuscript. Um, but it was just this idea that I wanted to tell stories for other folks. And even though that, you know, was a early, early on in the process as I figured out, you know, the kinds of stories I could tell successfully, um, you know, it, I don't know, it, it, it was one of the few times in my life I felt like I belonged and I knew I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I, it's hard to explain that sometimes, but once you feel it or recognize it, you can't go back. You just can't. Right. So was it always crime fiction for you or was it, I mean, Game of Thrones obviously isn't so, uh, there's a fantasy novelist in you as well, <laughs> but um, was that a genre that you were always interested in or did your bookstore travels also make you say, okay, what's selling? What do, what do I want to do? You know, or, or have you always been felt the compulsion to solve crimes or create really unfortunate situations for your characters? I mean, I'm a very anxious person. So most of the darkness and horrible stuff on, on uh, my pages is, you know, comes from my anxiety and constantly catastrophizing yeah. all throughout the day in a way that is so visceral and vivid. I, you know, on the one hand, it's no way to live. On the other hand, it is a living now, which is great. <laughs> um, to, 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 there's my ADHD brain. I totally even forgot the question. I was <laughs> thinking about my fears. Well, was it always going to oh, be crime fiction right. or thrillers yeah. um, most specifically? Or, or, you know, were other genres, do they call you as well? Yeah. So I, I sort of experimented my way into the crime fiction um, thriller space because as I was working, you know, I started in the spec, you know, this fantasy novel and um, I found, you know, that I wasn't really so interested in a lot of the things that I, as a reader of these kinds of books, come to them and expect. I expect geopolitics and casts of thousands and all this kind of stuff. And I was much more focused on the family relationships and the dynamics and the toxicity mm -hmm. and, and very intimate, almost claustrophobic um, sort of uh, lenses. And so from there, I, I kind of went into a near future dystopian um, thriller that, you know, also I kind of broke. Um, but then at, at, from there, that's when I was like, you know what, I can, I let's, let's do what I really want to do. Um, and that can happen in South Carolina today, you know, and so that's sort of where my debut came from. That was the third um, complete manuscript um, that I had finished that sort of, so it was a little bit of a journey, uh, I'd say to, to figure that out. Well, many writers write 
you know, a book or two to learn how to write a book before they figure out how to write a book that other people should read. (laughs) Which is a great thing because that to me, like the implication there is really the learnability of talent. I, you know, kid you not, my husband, when he read that first manuscript, he could not even muster the, the, the lie to be like, this was great. You know, I think one chapter, he was like, this chapter I I read from start to finish in one sitting. Um, And and the cool, you know, which which on the one hand kind of sucks, but on the other hand means you can totally learn this and you can practice and you can listen to other people. um, And and you can get in the New York Times, you know, um, from this is the most boring book the person closest to you in your life has ever read. So that's pretty cool. Well, I also want to um, give props for him to him for being honest because, you know, having somebody you care about read your work is probably not always the best thing. But also to you for hearing that and, and for not getting defensive. I mean, that's a that's a taking criticism is a really hard skill to develop. It It is definitely, you know, no one likes to hear that something, especially something so close, isn't quite hitting the yeah. mark or isn't, you know, um, exactly landing the way that the way that you wanted to. But what's helpful for me um, is one, I don't take I don't take myself that seriously because I find, I think that's exhausting <laughs> on the one hand. Um, life is too short to, to sort of uh, spend too much time um, getting bogged down on those sorts of things, but also understanding, you know, what's important and why you're doing this. I'm telling this story so other people can read it and hopefully um, feel the kinds of things and have the kind of experience and learn the sorts of things that I, you know, want them to, to, to enjoy and take away from it. Um, and if, if that's the case, then why, like, why wouldn't we want to hear what folks think? Why wouldn't we want to know how we could strengthen a story or, or, or make it, you know, closer to the vision that we have for it, um, uh, to begin with. And I'll tell you this, anyone giving you that you trust, that's giving you good feedback, um, and, and wants your story to succeed. Those folks are saving you from hearing that same thing from an agent, from an editor or God forbid, like a trade review. Um, I I didn't take a piece of a critique partner's advice. um, And we laugh about it because it's the one line that was quoted in a a trade review as an example of like something that was overwrought. (laughs) And I texted her. I was like, (laughs) this is why we listen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, I mean, this is, uh, that's such great advice, uh, you know, to, to listen. Do you, uh, you know, what's the worst piece of writing advice you got? Yeah. Um, you know, there's plenty of it. I think a lot of the stuff that comes out of my mouth would be the worst writing advice for plenty of folks because it's such, you know, it's whatever works for, yeah. you know, for folks tuning in, whatever the hell gets you to type the end on that shitty first draft, even if you have huge placeholders or, you know, whatever else that's, you know, uh, the process that's, that's what works for you. Um, as an example, I, I, at one time I, uh, I submitted something, you know, uh, actually, I think it was a, the first few chapters of, um, what became my debut to some contest. And, uh, you know, I was told, um, you know, I, you, you never start, um, you know, any, any book with all of these passive, you know, all this passive language, um, that I had put in there. And it's like, sure, that, that might be true in some instances and for, you know, uh, some books and, and some visions at some point, but it wasn't for this one. This was a deliberate word right. choice. And so trusting your gut, um, 
is why I say that and the importance of that and using that and that alone to filter um, advice from people like me, from anyone else who are an in of one with survivor's bias and their own, you know, uh, uh, subjective subjectivity. And um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It all advice can be, I feel like bad advice if, you know, if it doesn't apply. <laughs> That's true. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting and I've heard other people talk about, you know, with technical writers who try to write a novel, um, somebody recently got feedback who I was uh, talking to and she said, yeah, um, the agent said my technical writing <laughs> showed. Um, did you have to unlearn a lot? And, and did you take classes? You mentioned critique partners, like what's, you know, how do you, develop and have you developed as a writer yeah and i that's that's a hilarious that's hilarious because the almost the exact same thing happened to me the first you know i had moved here i like had my game of thrones prologue ready to go and i was so excited to show everyone my brilliance um and uh, one of the pieces of feedback i got was this and this was not meant as a compliment um although i trust and love the person who delivered it um they said this reads as if a phd was trying to write like a novel. Um, and I was like, Oh my gosh, that, <laughs> this is a barrier. This is, so, so yeah. it, I guess the most important thing I did beyond writing, um, and, and voraciously reading, especially those books, you know, people are always like, well, you know, don't, don't compare yourself to blockbuster hits or, or whatever else, but, but those blockbuster books are blockbusters for a reason. What, you know, what do you love about them? Um, and can you do something, you know, something similar and always making sure that you're not the best person in your writing group, make sure, or maybe you're the best in one way, but other folks are, are much better in other ways. Um, being around people who are better writers than you is just the, I feel like the most important thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's such great advice. I mean, you know, always, always aspire. Um, what is, what's your writing process like? I mean, where, you know, do you, where do these ideas come from? Like, what, what's your process like? Yeah, um, so it, it, you know, my process, I guess, uh, if I have to try to make it resemble one, um, it's, I, my process is I have ADHD and I don't think about consequences and I just jump first and ask questions later, which is why I'm in Canada um, right now and an author. Um, but there's gotta be, uh, from a creative standpoint, something, um, that really engages me and such that I want to in- interrogate it. Um, almost exhaustively um, to know everything about it, to, to be, you know, going down those Wikipedia um, uh, rabbit holes, watching, you know, every, every nonfiction and fiction, you know, thing on television that has anything to do with this. But what, you know, whatever catalyzes that, you know, it's, it's almost, it's wildly unpredictable um, for Bathhouse, where, you know, the, the book opens with a character trying to cheat um, on his husband and being almost strangled to death, you know, that the, the creative inspiration from that is there's been plenty of times I'm, you know, leaving the apartment at three o'clock in the morning to go meet someone up on Grindr. Uh, or, and, you know, I'm thinking, I hope they don't kill me. Um, and we'll find out. I never turned around. And so in that instance, it's this fascination with this primal urge to live and survive. And when it comes in conflict with other primal urges, like the compulsion for sex, right? And so um, that is a question in a space I, I wanted to sink my teeth into. Um, 
you know, uh, the, the book I'm working on now, voyeurism, but voy- unexpected voyeurism, how, how much our neighbors see of us and we see of our neighbors because it'd be exhausting um, to pay attention to uh, everyone around us, the clo- especially the closer we are to home. These sorts of ideas um, where, you know, uh, things, are, things are broken um, and for me to understand them better, but also um, to, to oftentimes form opinions or, or what I think about something, taking something that's broken, um, like all the plots of, of all these thrillers uh, broken in our society and, and seeing how it plays out um, is a big part of it. Um, and then it's all about getting those words out and not caring what the words look like or what they, uh, if they're the right words, because all that should matter during that, you know, once that, uh, creative sort of bug has bitten you, um, is that that story just gets out. However you can get it out. <laughs> you could fix it on the back end. <laughs> um, do you plot ahead of time? Like, did you know when you're sit you're working on something now, do you know how it's going to end up or, or do you just get the idea that takes hold and buckle up your seatbelt and go for the ride? It's, it's a, a mixture, but definitely more of um, the latter. Shockingly, the ADHD person is just, <laughs> like, I didn't plan. Um, but the reason I, I guess the reason that that works for me, and it certainly uh, does not work for a lot of folks um, is I, I want to have an experience that is as close as I can possibly get to what I'm trying to give the reader. Um, and what I mean by that is if I don't know where a story is going, um, I'll often have waypoints, you know, places I want to reach or things I want to happen or maybe who done it or a red herring. Um, but beyond that, I want to be shocked when a character shows up in an elevator. I want to be, I don't want to know who, who slipped that note under the office door until it's time to write it. Um, and I use that um, to sort of, guide how I think things are landing. If I, you know, write this red herring in and I am kicking myself because that would have been the perfect who done it, maybe that's the perfect red herring. These sorts of feedback feelings that you that you get to have when you have no clue what's going on. Now I will say, um, we get in a hell of a lot of trouble later um, when it's time to to turn that into something that makes sense. I've got a giant stack of edits uh right next to me. I can attest to that. Um <laughs> But but yeah, I'm I, I'm more of a pantser, uh, just going with the flow and getting into trouble later. And and you're, I love how I love your energy, and I love your fearlessness about the process because it does show in the book. I mean, there's 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 you are um, you are brave in the world you create, right? Like you go for it, and and uh, that's. That's something. Is it while you're writing this? Are you awful to be around? <laughs> are you like, uh, you know, does your husband run and like, okay, here's some more tea. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, because I just, I, 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 so many of the people I talk to, I just marvel at, at how these incredibly kind people just write stuff that scares everybody to death <laughs> well it's it's I, I i joke and i don't know if there's truth behind this and, and you you let me know what your take is but i feel like like crime fiction folks like when we all get together and we see this when we're doing uh when we're hanging out and and uh elsewhere i feel like it's like we got all of the murder and the emotional baggage and everything out on the page so that by the time we like show up at a conference or whatever we're actually just kind of like easy going <laughs> you know i'm like no weight on my back. I just, I just have a body.
body count of 25 in my project, you know, or whatever. Um, I'd be more worried about the folks who, who, who won't go, you know, all the way to, to, to those places. But books and specifically our genre, um, they, to me, hinge on honesty. And that's why we get into them. And so it's, you know, being bold or audacious in, in creating these worlds and going there um, and interrogating these fears um, those are all, you know, those can be scary sorts of, um, uh, prospects, um, certainly, but, uh, it, you know, it's, there's a, not a catharsis, but almost a therapeutic value to, to exploring the things we're afraid of, to pulling the curtain back. And, you know, I, you know, you're, you've got a fixation or a fear of death. Well, go ahead and let's, or you're afraid of a home invader. Well, let's see, let's play this out in a, in a place you right. can control, um, because it's a story, um, you know, so, so that's, that's really great. And then just, again, being honest, um, you know, not necessarily the author being personally honest, although that is obviously in every book as well, but the character and, and that, you know, the, the person that whose, whose mind we're in, um, making sure that that mind feels very similar and close to what my mind does but in a way I never admit to other people because we all have intrusive thoughts and we yes. all regret, you know, we'll think something and be like, oh my gosh, I don't believe that. Why did th this come to my, to the top of my head? Um, but we all do it. And so yeah. people want to see, see that happen um, in these characters in such high stakes situations, certainly. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I, I, first of all, you were right about crime writers. I mean, it's an incredibly generous kind yes. community. Um, so if you go to a large uh, conference like, you know, Bouchercon or Left Coast Crime, you're going to meet some very nice people yeah. <laughs> yes. because it gets worked out. Um, but it is that um, having a way to explore and to, to work on things. Uh, so, um, you know, it's it, there's value in there, but but and we all do it in different ways. Do you? I feel like bathhouse is transcends the genre that people ten years ago would have put it in. Like it would have been a gay thriller ten years ago, mm -hmm. and now it's a thriller. Do you agree with that assessment? Am I reading too much into things? I mean, I, you know, what? How do you feel about what I just said? Yeah, I to hear my book called a thriller, and that's it, um, is yeah. all I wanted to to get yeah. on Instagram and see the same fabulous folks who you know are loving all these other good stories, talking about it just. Um, the same or hating it just the same for the same yeah. sorts of reasons right. um, has, has been incredible because no, I would not have, you know, bathhouse would not have been able um, to be published as recently, you know, as, as 2017. And I know that for a fact, because we, you know, it wasn't shocked. Uh, you know, I, I had a publisher um, at that point and, and, you know, I'm with a different uh, group of folks that put bathhouse out um, now, much less, you know, earlier, earlier than that, I was told Costco moms would never, um, buy this book, which to me is absurd because, you know, one, the audacity to speak on behalf of Costco moms when like, I'm also a Costco mom and we're all there for peanut butter and we're busy and like whatever books are there, that's the one opportunity a lot of <laughs> folks have to, so, and, and you yeah. put the books there, you know, and decide which ones, which ones go there. Um, and, and number two, just 
you know, the more I think about it, and the more distance I get from that, and, and a lot of the the stuff that I heard early on before Bathhouse was acquired, um, it just it seems like such a silly thing for someone to say or to someone else now. Because you know, think about what you're saying when when you're saying you who you are on this planet, and and you know your life with all its richness and depth and heart. Um, is is not appealing enough for a casual reader, right. um, and you know, so that whole thing. And then, of course, I was I just wanted um, some really messy, um, very you know, uh, misinformed, misguided, or badly behaving uh, gay characters, um, the same kinds that I enjoy in any other story, uh, and you know, explore all that stuff, you know, that happens in yeah. all relationships. Yeah, it's an important um, moment and it's important to talk about because, you know, uh, it's not going to appeal to Costco moms. You know, that translate for that means uh, it's not going to sell enough copies or it's not going to be popular. And I'm using air quotes, uh, which, again, is how we pigeonhole so many people um, and and not heard or not had the stories that show the, the entire breadth of humanity. And I feel like right now we're in a time when we're showing more of that breadth, but, but we need to pay attention because it could go away. Do you agree with that? I, I absolutely agree with it. Um, I, you know, I look, I think bathhouse shouldn't have been, um, and I don't, I don't know where it's ranked now on, on retailers or, or all these sorts of things, but it's like, it stayed up there for so long and it's like, why it's lonely you know, up there. First of all, it's like, we need more of these stories and we need to be talking about this and having this conversation. You're absolutely right. I do think, um, from, from what we're seeing so far is, you know, unfortunately principles, never pay the bills and, and doing the right thing rarely gets folks right. to do the right thing. Um, but the bottom line certainly does. And when you give mm -hmm. readers stories that, you know, reflect readership, um, because there's, you know, uh, just they're, they're as diverse as these stories are, you know, right. um, right. uh, what you find is you find great sales. You find, you know, you look at, uh, like razor blade tears. I saw last night on Instagram by yeah. S.A. Cosby is on, the new uh the billboard in times square like these know, are the stories so you know these stories that have not been on shelves um th once they are look at what they're doing um and yes. so i hope um that you know that that registers to those folks in those c suites um like it does to readers um and to us because that's what we that's what we have to have we don't, you know absolutely i could not agree with you more i i that's it's such a it's almost like a golden age um of fiction right now um because of uh all of all of the ways books can be published because of audiobooks, because of everything else, and also because of the voices that we're hearing from. And you said it so beautifully. It's the stories are human experiences, and we need to embrace our common humanity, but also recognize and embrace our differences and support each other and support. You know, don't just read in what's comfortable for you or what you think you need to like you know, expand and explore and be really mindful about that. And I think readers are much better 
than some publishers think they are. About oh, that. 1 billion percent. I, you know, I had so much anxiety as Bathhouse was ready to roll out for everything you're saying. No one's going to buy this book. I'm going to, it's going to tank. And therefore I'm a bad business case for the next author who has a book like this, um, that that's coming along. And the day the cover was revealed, the day, um, you know, I, folks started getting these early copies and I could see what they were, you know, um, saying about it and, and that they're just, readers just love a good story. Literally nothing else applies. Give them that because we're mm-hmm. readers. <laughs> that's what we want. Um, yeah. and nothing else, you know, that, that's all, that's, you know, the most important thing. And so if I was, if I was a gatekeeper concerned about my bottom line, um, I'd be, I'd be looking at, at who reads books, um, and I'd be writing for them. No, it's such a great point. Um, such a great point. So let's talk a little bit about that publishing journey. You've, you've touched on it a little bit. Um, Bathhouse, you, you tried to shop it before, and then, you know, like, tell me about getting that published. Yeah, it was, um, it, it's sort of an interesting process because I had actually finished a draft of Bathhouse when I received an offer um, on my debut, um, which I had been querying to literary agents um, and racking up rejections. So I was almost kind of done with it um, on, a, on a Twitter pitch contest. So it was um, uh, DV Pitt, one of the first times they ran, um, I think it's Beth, um, uh, is it uh, Fit- Balin, I'm probably mispronouncing her last name, but fabulous literary agent who has run it. Um, And back in the the early days, the requirement was that the creator needs to come from, you know, needs to be a diverse voice. It's a a Twitter pitch contest that, you know, we we should credit for a lot of the the books that we're seeing. Uh, All these fabulous uh, sorts of contests and and folks advocating in this space. Um, And, you know, uh, I was so excited. So we got that locked and loaded and edited. And of course, um, so excited uh, to, to shop Bathhouse. My agent, Chris Bucci, um, with Avitas, with the first time we spoke, I said, and also I have this grinder thriller and I love it and it, it needs to happen. Are you on board with it? And, you know, he was like, it's 2017. Of course we can have a gay thriller. Uh, you know, he loved it. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, it wasn't, we didn't get that enthusiastic response that we were looking for. Um, we got, you know, uh, invitations to try different other things. And, you know, that was a gut check moment because I had to walk away from something and take my chances where there are no guarantees mm-hmm. in the wilderness, which is never an easy thing to do as, um, as we all know. Um, and, you know, it was never a question of if, if I was or not, you know, I could procrastinate or hem and haw about how I'm going to do it, but I was always going to do it. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. Um, and, you know, I, but there was no way I knew I would have known that. I had no validation at that point to know people right. would be into it, um, which I guess what I, my bad advice now is whatever you, like your gut is, whatever that story is, um, that's the one that you, you, you should be telling. And don't bend that to fit something that it's was never made to sort of fit. So what changed between 2017 and when you sold this, which must have been what, 2019 yeah. that you sold it? Um, uh, next, I had to wait out contract things sort of to wait, um, yeah. wait those out, um, which is how I have the book I'm editing now. I feel like I, I cheat a little bit because I'm because of that, I'm delayed a year. So I'm always like buying extra time for myself for projects that I had written the year before. Um, but, uh, but, but what changed is we, we took it out and, um, we started, you know, getting the rejections, uh, like, like we all do. And, 
um, you know, getting very close in some instances. And uh, I took a call with um, Rob Bloom at Doubleday, um, who read the book and loved the book and said it was almost there, um, but it needed to be worked on a little bit before he could take it um, to, to Doubleday. And so that's what changed is I had someone, you know, um, who this editor take a phone call with me and, and say what I'm doing and this story that Costco moms won't buy actually um, is is a fabulous story that plenty of folks will buy. And this is how, so he helped me level it up, eventually went on to, to acquire it. And then we got into editing it some more. Um, but it's, I mean, time changed, I guess, time and stubbornness, uh, being stubborn through that whole process. When people, when folks are trying to get you to do something, that's not uh, what you want. Well, and it, you know, I'm hearing what you're saying about gut checks and believing in yourself. And it's, it's incredibly moving because it's easy in this business to take the easy road or to give up on a dream or to say, maybe not this, but you said, no, no, this book is going to get out there. And I, and I'm, I believe in myself and that's tremendously powerful. It, well, I, 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 you know, I wish it's easy to say too, on the back end, right? Like it, back then it, you know, no guarantees. It felt anchorless, rudderless. Um, but any folks that are feeling that, um, right now, um, you're in great company cause we're all there at different times. We sit at that lunch table, <laughs> you know, we're all, uh, all on the same path for as it is, it is wide a path as it is. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a word, a curvy path for sure. What do you wish you'd known? Um, you know, when you moved up to Calgary and said, I'm going to do this, what, what, what would you tell your younger self? That you'll make it, that, that you're not, you're not, this is not a pipe dream. Like you, you'll be able to do this if you just hang on. It was, you know, I having, um, my immunology degree, you know, that was really hard and took, took a lot of work, but I always knew if I did that, if I did these things, I'd get my ticket to ride. Um, and, and I could get a job or do whatever else. This doesn't exist here. So I would have loved that certainty. Unfortunately, um, can't, can't do that. Um, I guess what I wish I would have known, um, is how little what you've done before, whether you think it was the best decision or a mistake or something you, you regret, uh, professionally speaking in, in your writing careers, um, how little that's going to impact you moving forward. Um, because there, there seems to be this enormous, um, feeling that you get this shot and you're one and done, um, you know, and that's it. Um, and you'll always, and I, and yes, I don't mean to say you're not compared to what you've done and that doesn't factor into decisions. Um, but I just don't think it matters as much in the face of an amazing new project that folks want, um, as, as much as we think it does. Um, that, yeah. that would be a big one. And then kind of to circle back with what you said just earlier and alluded to, and to, uh, take it a little bit further principles and sticking with your principles and recognizing, um, that sometimes, um, that feels like you're doing something which is going to cost you money or cost you sales or, or whatever else. But number one, it has never been easier to stand up for your principles than it is today, um, even though it's sure as hell not easy in many instances. Um, and I don't even remember what number two was. So I, <laughs> I feel like I don't even know. Where I, but, but people pay attention. People pay attention to people who are consistent and 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 show up and demonstrate and demonstrate that those principles on a regular basis and they want to do good things for them. Um, and so I think there's, I think there's also a business case to being a good person. Um, and I say that cause I, I think that takes some of the, the edge off of the fear, um, 
a lot of the fears writers have. Yeah, I mean, it's a very fear-based and, and you know, lack-based um, business sometimes. You know, well, if, if they're successful, I'm not going to be successful. But what you're saying is, if they're successful, I'm going to be successful too because we're just making room for more. Yeah, I mean, I like the, I, I can't write Bathhouse 2 um, in the time it takes for people to read Bathhouse 1. So it's like, if Bathhouse is a big hit, are there other b- books like Bathhouse that folks, you know... Um, I, I, if I want to read about vampires, I'm going to read everything there is about vampires. And I don't yeah. think any author can keep up with that. Um, yeah. So I don't, yeah. I wouldn't sweat that one, one bit. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working on your, your next book. Was this an idea, you know, that again, sort of grabbed you and, and took you like, what's your, your log line? I love the log line for bathhouse. Do you have another like good pithy, like, <laughs> This is what this is about. I've heard a little bit about it on, um, I've seen you on Twitter and I've also talked to you a little bit about it, but I love, I love the premise of this, the new book. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I don't know if, if I could ever be Gone Girl with Gaze and Grinder. Um, I originally <laughs> just called it, I was like, it's a grinder thriller. And then when they gave me Gone Girl, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's so alliterative <laughs> and powerful and I'll never live up to this. Um, and so I don't quite have that, but it is, it's, it's, uh, it's pitched as queer rear window. Um, as we were talking about it, it's to do with voyeurism. So it's two different voyeurs who fixate on the same family in an affluent neighborhood, but for entirely different reasons. Um, and so we've got, um, one voyeur, so to speak, who lives is a husband, um, who, a gay man who lives next door, um, whose own marriage is a little, uh, stagnant and stale. Um, uh, they're talking about starting a family together and, and all those sorts of things. And then there's this house next door with all of these picture windows. Um, and there's a hot husband next door that always seems to be in various stages of undress in front of these windows. Um, but in a way that makes you wonder if it's an exhibitionist invitation and not so much just a coincidence. Mm-hmm. The other character um, is an Ali Binner. So um, I don't think that language is used in the States, but up here in Canada, um, folks who, who walk uh, the alleyways, um, tens, dozens of kilometers a day to basically call for refundable um, empties from recycling to, to uh, trade in for cash and make a living. Um, they, the other character is an Ali Binner who, who, ha- who also fixates on um, the same family and their little girl who uh, reminds her of someone um, that she lost. And of course she has access to all kinds of personal secrets because she's going through their garbage. Um, And so the little girl goes missing and these two voyeurs are both like, how the hell did this girl go missing while we're both looking Um, and up to whatever gray ethically activities are are unfolding. And I was inspired by, by two things. It was number one, um, the, John, the uh, casting John Bonet documentary, um, in which uh, some documentarians brought the community in, uh, in which uh, the John Bonet cap, uh, case happened um, in ostensibly to recruit and cast them for a movie about that, and in that process, interview them for their takes on what happened. Um, of course, the parents are completely excluded from the narrative, and I was fascinated by how that would how that all unfolded. Mm-hmm. And uh, many years ago, I also had a naked neighbor. And it was an anxiety-inducing experience because they were very attractive. And you think that that's what you'd want in a naked neighbor, but really you just want to eat Arby's by yourself with 
and not see very attractive people, <laughs> you know, while you're doing that. <laughs> so I was like, that just seems like a fun place to go and explore. And is, are you writing multiple points of view or from the two voyeurs or, or how, how's that go? Yeah. From, so it's two points of view from uh, those two voyeurs that are seemingly totally disconnected from each other besides their, fi- their shared fixation um, on this family. And so yeah, deliberately excluding um, the parents uh, from from that narrative, because that's what I, I loved about that documentary that I watched, which for the writer craft perspective, it was a, quite a challenge because when the kid's gone missing, the parents probably have the most to lose most of the time. So how the hell do we give these other characters something so profound to lose? So it's, I hope folks enjoy it. It's the departure. It's different from Bathhouse, but it's still queer, still transgressive and hopefully good. Uh, a good read yeah. for them. <laughs> And when's it coming out? It's coming out, I believe, early summer 2023. Um, so it'll be out. I've got a got a year to get, get it to get it uh, up to snuff, and um, uh, I'm excited to to see what folks think. So PJ, do you then? Um, you're, you're working on edits now, so you're deep in the weeds, but do you always have another idea or do you could like collect things or do you watch documentaries on Netflix that make you go, huh? I mean, how do you sort of keep the muse going or do you just put everything else aside and say, I'm just focusing on this right now? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have a one track mind. Um, and so hyper-focus is, uh, is, the only way I guess I can operate. So I have to do one thing um, at a time, particularly a creative thing. Um, but, uh, but as far as ideas percolating and those, sometimes, sometimes I finish, I finished my debut and jumped right into bathhouse. Um, I finished I, a novel in between those two that I, I broke. <laughs> um, and you know, that, that one, I, you know, didn't come to me um, in quite the same way, and neither did Open Flame, the one that, that I'm work, uh, working on now. But I say that because um, as far as the muse goes, it's exactly what you said, always observing the world, always being lost in your own head, all of those things that you know you feel really bad for as a kid because <laughs> when folks are telling you not to do it, that's work. Um, I don't write every day, but I work every day because I'm daydreaming on every walk and every shower and every you know, cooking dinner, yeah. all that kind of stuff. That watching things because you never know what's going to stick. You never know what's going to resonate. Um, but if you're not watching, um, you, you won't catch it. Um, and so yeah, giving yourself time to absorb because I'll tell you right now with this pandemic focus has been shot and I would have been shocked if an idea (laughs) would have popped in my head immediately. Yeah. Yeah. No, especially for the observing. Um, if you're not watching, you won't catch it. I love that. That's a, another sampler that we all need to make and hang up. It's awesome. Um, so you're a member of Sisters in Crime. Have you been a member for a while or, or what, 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 brought you to the organization well thank you for asking (laughs) i have not been a member for too terribly long although i i lose track of time now so maybe it's been years Um, (laughs) i have no clue um but actually a good friend of mine um sandra sg wong um uh who is also lives up here in Alberta. She was um, actually on the very first panel I ever was on when I knew nothing um, of what I was doing and just an incredible writer, incredible human being whose, whose own book is coming out. Um, I believe uh, from Penguin Canada in June, June, I think June, June, yeah. June. Um, and I've got that, June, got, got that June. one next to me. I'm stoked to, stoked to read it. Uh, but 
she uh, recruited me because y'all were putting together um, a committee which was interested in uh, uh, tackling um, and improving areas around justice, equity, um, diversity, and inclusion. Um, and so I've had the, the honor and privilege to be able to, to work with, with that group um, in Cincy, almost exclusively in my experience. Uh, and, and I'm very lucky to have, have met everyone there. And we do uh, a lot of great things, have great conversations, and I always sort of leave um, feel, feeling more fulfilled than when I started, which is a rare thing on Zooms. I feel like, you know, kind of these days, but to yeah. shut the computer and yeah. think that was fun. <laughs> and there's fabulous well, people. The membership are fabulous. fabulous I feel like all my friends are members too. Um, well, it's, uh, you know, your work and your volunteerism for the organization is greatly appreciated and your point of view. But what I appreciate is your energy and your enthusiasm about all of this. And I can't wait to see you in 3D again at some point. I mean, I think um, it's going to be fun to see each other at conferences and, and be able to reestablish those bonds because you've met people at conferences who then become friends. And as you said, you met Sandra on a panel and, you know, we... We need to have human writing is solitary, but being a writer is a is needs community. Oh, for sure. yeah, it's it definitely. I guess you write by yourself, but yeah, I surviving being a writer definitely <laughs> requires other people and being involved in your life. Um, certainly, and you're so right. I can't wait for that moment um, when it's just like no one's going to even leave the lobby. You know, it's like don't even. I, 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 might, I don't even have a room. I'll just stay in the lobby for two days straight, <laughs> hugging everyone. But but I also don't want to take away from the fact that like. While we've been digital, I have made so many friends. We, we've yes. become friends through this medium. Yes. And that is every bit as real and meaningful, you know, to me as, as of course, you'd rather have the hug, but as the hug, as that experience. Yeah. And so it's going to be the most ecstatic time in the world to meet all, to see all of our old friends and then just meet all the friends that we've made um, through, through yeah. this process in which literary events have never been more accessible. Well, and it's such a great point because we, you know, you're in Canada, I'm in the States, like we can't see each other, but we can see each other once a month on a meeting or, you know, just to have a conversation. And um, a lot of people can't access going to a conference or doing things. So Zoom is, um, is incredible. It's a gift um, in so many ways, for sure, for sure. Absolutely. PJ, I want to thank you for an amazing conversation and um, and for your enthusiasm. You you made me feel better about today. So. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I, I I appreciate that so much. It was an honor um, to be able to come on and hang out with you and and talk. We we're very rarely get to talk this kind of stuff. Um, so that was an absolute blast, and I I appreciate um, the 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 praise as well um, for for the book and and yeah the enthusiasm. I don't know. I feel like, uh, it's just, it's easier just not to take things so serious <laughs> sometimes and just yeah. have fun. This is fun. And enjoy the moment. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. Well, um, thank you again. And, uh, I look forward to seeing you on zoom soon and in person in the near future. 100%. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. 
We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.